Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The body of work known as the Great American Songbook is a gift that keeps on giving. The popular songs and jazz standards of the 20th century continue to delight us in new arrangements and contemporary performances. Later this hour, we'll hear about Sentimental Journey, a new virtual musical from City Springs Theatre celebrating the Great American Songbook. Master woodworker Doug Pisick has added another sculpture to his pandemic-inspired Art for Challenging Times series. And we'll also hear how other visual artists are trying to help alleviate hunger, both here and abroad. First, an Unrestricted examination of motherhood from childbirth to the empty nest and everything in between. That's how Aurora Theatre describes its new show, Mummy Confessions. Lorraine Rodriguez-Reyes is the playwright and actor in the one-woman show, opening Friday. She's with us now via Zoom. Lorraine, welcome to City Lights. Thank you for having me. Where did your journey begin in terms of creating this one-woman play? It began in New York City in 2011. I was having a wonderful, wonderful experience being pregnant with my son. I actually... It was a glorious one. I told my mother, if I could go through every pregnancy like this, I would be a surrogate. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, And I thought everyone had this experience. And shortly after I had him, I actually did a play at La Thea Theater called Glass Cord. And in speaking to a couple of the artists there, they explained a little bit about their pregnancies and their experience. And all of a sudden there was light shed upon it where it's like, not everybody has this glorious experience. And I also learned about postpartum depression during that time. And I started interviewing women just for my own curiosity at first. It basically began with just trying to figure out what this journey of motherhood meant. What should I be doing? How should I be feeling? A tutorial because nobody gives you a handbook, right? (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Although um, there can be good advice offered from other women. Definitely. And, and though the books, you know, there's a myriad of books that you can read of when, when expecting, what to do when parenting and babies from zero to five. But hearing it from other women just made it very tangible for me and very real. And I literally remember walking with my husband and I said to him, you know, I think I need to jot these stories down and document them somehow. It's, it's, it's important. It's like, I don't know, chicken soup for the, you know, for the mom's soul or the non-mom soul. <laughs> and I started the journey then. 
And then when I had my daughter in 2013, that was a far cry from my son's birthing experience. Hers was quite scary. We were put on bed rest. I had bleeding. We thought we were going to lose her at one point. It, it was very, very different. And therefore just concreting everything everyone told me about it. And everyone has their own experience. And then I also started speaking to women who didn't have children, who had no desire to have children. And then others who, who talked to me and told me that they're a mother, but not of their own, you know, like they're the mother of the neighborhood children, the nieces and nephews that they have raised, the impact that they made in their lives. And, you know, there's always that saying of like, you know, anyone can make a child, but not anyone could be a mother or father. And that started becoming very prevalent. And so that's where the journey began. And, and then I moved here to Georgia. And when I moved to Georgia from New York City in 2013, with no creative outlet, but to take these stories and make it something. And that's what I started doing late at night while the children were sleeping, just trying to compile these interviews and speak to more women. And I submitted my work to the One Festival in New York, just on a whim. You know, it's like, I don't know. I even prefaced it with like, it's very raw. (laughs) I have no idea uh, what I'm doing, but I think it's important to share. And I was accepted and then I won the festival and, and we began the development there. That's fantastic. Now, one, I see it spelled in all uppercase letters. What is that an acronym for? Just for for one, like solo performance pieces, monologue pieces. Ah, okay. Just the one festival. So everyone who submits, it's basically like your own one person show. Well, but that that's a tremendous honor for you to have won the one festival. So that was five years ago. Oh yes, that was in uh, summer of two thousand, and I think that was fifteen. So is the play that will be performed with Aurora Theater identical to (laughs) that which was in New York? No, not at all. (laughs) It's a different piece. (laughs) Um, I laugh because we've gone under so many different dramaturgical variations of the script. I've added more women. I've eliminated because I interviewed over 25 women. And when I came here to Georgia, I met with a dramaturg, Jane Barnett, uh, when, uh, through Susan, uh, my director. And she said, you know, she'll help us form a story with a through line, as opposed to just these random monologues. And, you know, some of the monologues had to be put on the shelf because it just didn't work with the through line. And some of them could have been their own story. (laughs) That's how powerful some of them were. And so, you know, as time went on, it's like, okay, I think I want to add this. I need to find, you know, this couple. And now with COVID that happened, you know, I spoke to some moms who are new, who gave birth during COVID and added that to it. It evolved. The developmental stages happened with the one festival and the script evolved with Teatro Latea and then Kitchen Theater brought us there and they actually, you know, helped create the set, the image of what we were looking for. And it expanded at the Aurora in ways I can't even dream of. Oh. Are these stories just from Latinx women? No, no, they're, they're across the board. I do have to admit many of them were first generation women of whatever culture. So if they were Russian or Italian or Jewish or Arabic, the one thing most of us had in common is that we were all first, first generation. So our parents spoke a different language. We had a different food at home. There was just a different connection to the United States. Lorraine, what is your opinion of how Hollywood movies, American television shows, and even fiction represent Latinx and Hispanic mothers, that is books, not written by people of the culture. I have to say we've definitely grown <laughs> from even just five, six years ago. I've even seen that with, within my breakdowns when I have auditions. I still think there needs to be some authenticity there. I think they still play on the passionate, the sexy, the vivacious. What media wants to see, what sells, right? The stereotypes always have some truth to it. 
but I think we can dig deeper. And until we have those writing about our own experiences, I don't think that would occur mm. personally. Now, I read that originally you whittled down the number of stories from 25 to 10. Is that still the case, 10 women whose stories you perform in this show? Yes, yes. We, we had to do that just so that I can, one, make it doable within a certain period of time <laughs> and, and go with the through line. So we made it uh, with the through line being my coming into womanhood, in a sense. So we have a piece that starts off with, you know, with my childhood and what growing up in our house was like going through grad school when I was at Harvard and that experience. And then, so, you know, the, the whole precipice of finding a husband in our household. And I don't want to generalize and say every Latino household is like this. My household was very um, focused on virginity and finding a husband. <laughs> And so that kind of dictated a lot of my life. And so we found the stories to help navigate that and tell you what's going on along the line of Lorraine's life and trying to, to have a baby and, and the complications, but then the women who kind of chime in to give their wisdom. Okay, so what you just described, that's not four of the 10. No, no, that so you'll have all of me and that's my one person and then you have the others. <laughs> Is it possible to give us just a quick overview of the 10 different mothers? Sure, I'll do it to the best of my ability. As you know, I have fog brain sometimes, but <laughs> one of the mothers uh, that I interviewed she decided that she wasn't going to talk about childbirth or babies, but she was going to discuss how to keep your husband in line <laughs> oh. and create boundaries and how to do that. Another one discusses the importance of being sexy and fabulous and beautiful and always um, being ready to please your husband. You have one that discusses uh, being a mom in COVID during zoom meetings constantly and and that lifestyle of not being able to leave the house and being in quarantine you have one who discusses not having children because she doesn't care she it's she says it's a hashtag double income no kids um that's her hashtag line because she can do whatever she wants her and her husband without worrying about children or what to do and and they just frankly don't want it but how the family reacts and how they think she should be having children. We have a mom who has a child with disabilities. We have um, a high schooler with a pregnancy piece. Let's see, we have a stillbirth. I'm trying to see if I have them all, Louise. I, it sounds like you <laughs> provided quite a comprehensive survey there. Um, and then, you know, within my monologues, you meet my husband, my father-in-law, you meet my father, you meet my mother, you meet my uncle. It's a grand, um, grand family affair. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> you mentioned that Mommy Confessions won the One Festival in New York. It was also presented live in 2019 as a part of Teatro Aurora. Yes. What is it like performing the show in front of the camera rather than a live audience? Oh, I miss the audience, so I must say, because it's such an interactive show. My director did a wonderful job bringing in the audience as if we were getting together for a party, a barbecue of sorts. So the minute you walked in, I had food for you. You know, Teatro Aurora sold their beer. <laughs> <laughs> And I would welcome you. So if you walked in, it's just like, hi, how are you? Come in. How are you? So good to see you. And there's a, like this little improv that I would do with everyone. And the audience, they were so much fun. They would play. I had one young woman who showed in late and it's like, it's okay, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we would banter and that energy. And then also just to feel the presence of the audience through the journey of the women 
and you can hear them laugh or, or just that deep inhale when something really tough just happened. I did one monologue and I remember there was a standing ovation afterwards and I didn't finish the play, but it was just like the cat calls, everything. So that one really resonated. I'll bet. <laughs> um, and that's what I missed the most. Filming it was nice because where you messed up, you can go back to and it's like, oh, can we redo that? I, I, I want to do that better. Or I felt I could do this or so that was the difference. But I miss I have to say I miss the energy of the theater and and having that ability to storytell and be there with you and be present through this journey. But I'm grateful that we were able to film it and share it and stream it. And so the theater somewhat has a different lifestyle now, (laughs) just for now. And we can still share our stories, which I think are important. That's what's most important and indeed while nothing can replace the thrill of live performance at least we have this technology now yes why is it especially important to amplify these authentic and not always glamorous stories of motherhood I think because sometimes, and it may be just the conditioning that we have, you know, as we're raised and brought up in this world, but this idealism, this perfectionism that we must portray to the outside world, when I feel that it's okay to say, oh my gosh, I'm doing a horrible job today. (laughs) This is hard. I need help. I need support. I feel depressed. Like, to let them know that you're not alone. You're not alone in going through these feelings. You're not alone in saying, I don't want children. You're not alone in saying, I can't have children. I have a child with a disability. You're not alone. And I I think that sisterhood that feel women need. Playwright and actor Lorraine Rodriguez Reyes. Aurora Theater will stream her one woman show, Mommy Confessions, as part of their our Stage on Screen series, November 20th through December 6th. More information will be on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. City Springs Theatre claims that with one click of a digital link, you will be stepping out of your bedroom and into your very own nightclub, where the musical stylings are cool and the jazz band is hot. The new show is Sentimental Journey, a celebration of the great American songbook. Casey Grogan-Wallace is the director, and she stars in the show. She joins us now via Zoom with Artistic Director Brant Blocker. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Lois. It's great to be back. Just delighted. Now, I think Sentimental Journey sounds like just what the doctor ordered for this season. When did you decide to put on this show? Well, obviously we needed to stay in touch with our patrons. Uh, They were very much missing the theater company, missing the opportunity to be together under one roof, enjoying the arts uh, that we have here in Sandy Springs. And we had to come up with, with a creative way that would give our patrons the experience that they have in the theater, but obviously without having them in the building. So back in July, late July, 
in partnership with the Sandy Springs Performing Arts Center, conceived the idea to replace our two fall productions. So we were going to have, of course, two big musicals in the fall. And we've replaced them with these four concerts. And we decided that we would do it in the Byers Theater, that we would go in and film these concerts. We are separated, of course, by shields in rehearsal. Performers wore their masks. Uh, we have the orchestra, the City Springs Theater Orchestra behind them. And we thought it would be a wonderful way to distribute these concerts to our patrons so that they could reminisce on what it's like to be together back in the beautiful Byers Theater. Right. Now, I have the impression this is something of a review. Casey, is there any plot through line or something that connects the songs? Well, the beautiful thing about Sentimental Journey is that it gives you all of those wonderful songs from back in the big band era. And I, I really am grateful to be a part of this. And so the first thing that I thought about was the Cotton Club and how everybody just comes together and those beautiful songs are being sung and everybody's having a good time. I loved how we were able to connect each of the artists' work that we focused on. So the main thing was the Cotton Club. That was the main thought in my head. And we were able to just pull it all together. And, and that's the beauty behind this particular story. So the Byers Theater is transformed into the Cotton Club for this show. Indeed. And as I mentioned, it features our incredible uh, City Springs Theater Orchestra. Uh, we've got the brass section, the woodwind section, great rhythm section, just a, a terrific uh, big band swing sound. And this particular show also features renowned uh, Atlanta trumpeter and vocalist Joe Gransden. So we were able to get Joe in and feature him on a couple of numbers as well. Oh, he is sensational. And I know he has a particular fondness for City Springs Theater. He has talked about playing with the orchestra and leading the band there as having the jazz at Lincoln Center feel to it. Yeah, Joe is uh, obviously, I mean, he's nationally renowned, but we're so fortunate to get to claim him here in Atlanta and even more so in Sandy Springs. So uh, it was it was really... It was a matter of time before we connected Joe with City Springs Theater, and uh, we're so glad it worked out. The cast, it's rather star-studded. Can you tell us who's performing? We are blessed with an all-star cast for this show. Of course, Atlanta's own and now Broadway's Courtney Collins. She is a staple at the Alliance Theater, as you well know. And you've already mentioned Casey Grogan-Wallace, Grammy Award winner. And then, of course, there's Max Gookman, who is an incredible talent. He, and then, last but certainly not least, is the incredible Eric Moore, a phenomenal jazz singer, terrific actor. So we're just truly blessed with such an outstanding cast. It is. And the other star of the show is The Great American Songbook. Let's talk about some of the selections that you provided. We have Fever, sounding even more feverish than Peggy Lee, as I remember. What can, what can you tell us about how this fits into the thread of the show? Of course, all of these songs represent the Great American Songbook. We have tunes featured through Harry Warren, Duke Ellington, uh, George and Ira Gershwin, Julie Stein, Irving Berlin. So it's just a, an incredible uh, smorgasbord, if you will, of great tunes from the golden era of uh, big band music. Fever is sensational because, number one, we have the incredible Casey Grogan-Wallace featured on it, and number two, the outstanding City Springs Theater Orchestra. Never know how much I love you Never know how much I care when you put your arms around me I get a fever that's so hard to bear You give me fever 
Our entire show was compiled by Shane Delancey uh, with arrangements by Billy Payne, and they both did an outstanding job as each song sort of weaves and turns from one part of the era to the next, and of course, none better than Fever. I presume that It Don't Mean a Thing is what establishes the Cotton Club setting for us. Indeed, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Probably one of my all-time favorite tunes. I'm a bit partial to the Duke Ellington medley myself. Well, I'll tell you a quick little story here. My son, who just turned 13, every night since he was an infant has gone to bed listening to vinyl jazz music. And so when he hears these tunes, when these songs are, let's say, played over, uh, you know, a loudspeaker in the mall or some sort, you know, when we were walking around in malls at the time or we're watching a film on television and, you know, Jeepers Creepers comes up or, you know, I've Got Rhythm or, you know, Accentuate the Positive. He knows these tunes, and I'm so, so proud of that. This is an era uh, that certainly should not disappear from our musical uh, heritage. It is, in fact, uh, for jazz musicians and lovers of of jazz music, it is is the standards, right, as we call them, the staples of uh, Americana music. And so we're just so blessed to have such a wonderful review of these tunes put together for our patrons. With It Don't Mean a Thing If You Ain't Got That Swing... We hear the ensemble cast in harmony. So you mentioned that they're wearing masks, but to harmonize, how do they do that virtually? Our music rehearsals, we spent about uh, four to five days on Zoom with uh, our incredible music director, Ben Bryant, who worked with the cast uh, on their solos and their parts pretty much one-on-one because trying to get a group, as you well know, Lois, uh, being uh, in the studio over Zoom, trying to get a group singing together in time with music over Zoom is darn near impossible. So they had to learn the pieces individually. And then our first in-person rehearsal where we had masks and face shields and six foot distancing uh, was the first time that they could kind of hear each other but sort of through a barrier of those masks and shields. So it wasn't until we recorded the show, the day of, we had one rehearsal before we did the recording. And uh, that was the first time that they could take their masks off, distanced with shields uh, in between them at six feet, and they could hear each other for the first time. Mm. I have to note, there's a clip here of the Gershwin to summertime from the opera Porky and Bass. And it's a wonderful arrangement, I think. I hear just a solo clarinet with bass. Do you know who's playing? I sure do. So on the clarinet is none other than Sam Skelton, who is also an instructor at uh, Kennesaw State University. And on bass, my dear friend, who was actually my high school music teacher many years ago in New Orleans. We reconnected when I moved to Atlanta 13 years ago. He had been here for some time. We reconnected and the great Tim Oquen, who is again, just like Sam, well known throughout the Atlanta uh, music community, uh, has been playing in my orchestras for many years. And so it's always a joy to get to highlight uh, these dear friends of mine who are just most exceptional at what they do. Summertime And the living is easy Fish are jumping And the cotton is high Daddy's ring 
Brent, you mentioned that your 13-year-old has quite the appreciation for tunes from the Great American Songbook. I know Michael Feinstein, who is such a marvelous entertainer himself, as well as an archivist, has been very good about seeing to it that the American Songbook does not stay limited to just certain decades of the 20th century. He has looked to add to it with contemporary singers and composers. Why do you think selections from the Great American Songbook seem timeless? To me, the beauty of that music if you take the, the melodies, for example, and you take the sentiments often expressed in those melodies, they're not difficult to understand. They resonate with any listener. Romance, loss, grief, success, pain, they're commonly known themes. You add those melodies and those themes to arrangements, and I think that is what makes the big difference in these tunes and their longevity is that how many times have we heard a different arrangement of take the A-train or fly me to the moon or everything's coming up roses, right? We've heard these songs dozens and dozens of times, each one a different arrangement, giving it a different feel, a different expression, uh, a different experience. And so to me, um, that's why these songs are so forever lasting and why we must do everything we can. And I'm very grateful that my son Christian really appreciates and enjoys this music. Um, and it's part of the reason why we decided to include it in our series. You know, we have a series that started with celebrating Broadway classics, celebrating, you know, 60s review, uh, doo-wop group music. This show, of course, and then we have a Christmas medley concert coming up in December. But it was important to me to have one of our shows represent this era. And, you know, our patrons, most of which now were not alive during this era, right? These tunes have got some, have got some time on them, but they know these songs. My son knows these songs. They continue to impress and engage and take us back to a feeling or a time in our lives that can only be expressed through the simplicity maybe of those lyrics or the, the sweetness of that melody, but enhanced by the complexity of the incredible arrangements that we've still yet to hear. They're still continuing to be newly and fruitfully arranged. Brant Blocker is the artistic director of City Springs Theater. Actor and singer Casey Grogan Wallace is also the director for Sedimental Journey. The virtual musical opens this evening at 7. For more information, check our website, wabe.org slash citylights. You're listening to WABE Atlanta. Earlier this year, the World Food Program reported that the number of people facing food insecurity would double by the end of 2020. One Atlanta nonprofit is trying to combat this crisis with art. In September, City Lights producer Summer Evans spoke with the Safe Hands Company co-founder, Christy Woods, about the nonprofit. We really came together to start creating innovative solutions to some of the problems that we've seen caused by the pandemic. So a, a big part of that is obviously what we're seeing happening to the, the population facing acute food insecurity, a population that's expected to double this year. Um, and with world hunger already being one of the number one world killers, we definitely wanted to make sure that we had a program in mind that could help service this community. So Safe Hands was just created this year? 
It was exactly. So um, our core offering is really re-entry research. Um, and we also created a color system that helps you communicate your comfort level with interaction as well as your home risk level when you return to the workplace or, or to church or to your school. Can you actually talk about that color system and what each of the colors mean? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, early on in the pandemic, we noticed how awkward interactions could be between neighbors and friends and coworkers, even your family. Um, I'm sure you could think of a, a couple examples yourself. So, you know, we were noticing that there are government guidelines that tell us how to ant- enter and exit and how to stand in line. But the reality was the real world is throwing hundreds of situations at us daily that aren't covered by any system and where you know six feet and perfect sanitation are not possible, aren't practical and aren't natural. And that was creating a lot of fear and confusion and um, inherent liabilities. So our system really facilitates interpersonal communication based on your comfort level with interaction. So it's three different colors. Um, the first color you would wear um, or display if your home is at risk, and that is orange. The second color is blue, is what you would wear or display if you are seeking space and just hoping to maximize the space between you and others around you. And then green is a color that you would wear when you are feeling um, and you are in an environment where you are more comfortable interacting. So you may be going and getting together with family. You might be you know, going on a walk and that might be a situation where you would wear green. So we noticed that people don't necessarily want to have this conversation with every interaction that they have and a simple color system could facilitate that for them. The Safe Hands Company co-founder Christy Woods speaking with City Lights producer Summer Evans. You're tuned to WABE Atlanta. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thanks for listening. Atlanta artist Doug Pisick is a master woodworker. His latest collection is called Art for Our Unusual Times. The group is made up of four different pieces designed to convey thoughts and emotions experienced during the ongoing pandemic. His fourth and newest piece is called Six Feet, which wasn't yet completed when we spoke in September. Here's Doug Pisick explaining what went into creating these works. It's all the unusual things that we're all going through now as we're adapting to the current COVID pandemic. It's obviously been quite a bit of a challenge for literally everybody. And it's one of the rare times as an artist I've actually felt truly inspired to create something based on what was happening around me. And I created a series, which is currently three key pieces which tie in on our attack on the virus and also the virus's impact to our body and our impact to our psyche or our mind. It's just something that's been running through my head and I had to get it out in physical form. How long did it take you to first envision and then create these three pieces? Oh, it's interesting. Several months back, as I was just hearing and thinking about how we were trying to come up with viruses and attack, you know, what what we have going on around us, I came up with an inspiration for my first piece, which is called The Cure. And that's our attack on the virus. And the the inspiration for that was pretty much something I, I almost woke up and just said, I just saw a vision and the vision was of a hammer slamming down and destroying the virus, which is a physical representation of what this art is. It's an actual spherical view of a virus with the little nodules coming out of it. And and I created what looks exactly like a steel hammer, an iron hammer pounding down and cracking it open. And I had the vision of it, but to physically make it was something that was uh, very therapeutic, exciting, and, and I felt hopeful and inspirational for others, which is why I put this virtual exhibition together. You mentioned that the piece 
is created entirely out of wood, including the hammer, or is the hammer metal? It's including the hammer. It's actually, I had this large handheld iron, small miniature sledge, and that was my model. But the hammer itself is 100%. The hammer head is made out of maple and is cut to look exactly like a hammer head. And then it has an oak handle, which looks just like a regular tool handle. And I, but I carved all of it myself with all my own tools. So you craft by carving the individual parts. It, it's not as a sculptor would mold clay or chisel from marble. Correct. It's actually very, uh, it's very, very unique with, um, when you work with materials such as wood and others as well, but with wood in particular, which I've worked quite a bit with, it's often, often depending on what you're trying to make, it's actually appropriate to make things in sections and pieces. So for this, the hammer head was a single piece. The hammer handle was a single piece. The sphere was a single piece. And there's approximately 20 of these, uh, the, these burl nodules that are wrapped around the piece are all individually done. The trick is to figure out how to design it in advance so that when you put it all together, it looks seamless. And in this case, somewhat realistic with the way it was all pulled together. It's, I know it's difficult over the radio, but I do find that those that have seen it have all felt like it's been visually pops as to exactly what's been represented. And I'm actually very fortunate. The particular piece we're talking about now is actually shown in the current, um, the current edition of Fine Art Connoisseur magazine. Mm. Now, you have another piece in this series called Thoughts in Isolation. And I read that you created a social media campaign asking your followers to share one-word thoughts about their experiences in isolation due to the pandemic. What were some of the words you received? Uh, there were so many that had come back to me. I'd received over 100 words of, of thoughts people had, everything ranging from fear to anger to if the word vote you know, which means, which is so sad that people are, are thinking of this from political aspect as well as the physical aspect or the mental aspect, because this pandemic is hitting everybody from every angle and every direction. What I wanted to do was to narrow it down to just 19 words, COVID-19, you know, obviously the symbolism there. I wanted to put as much symbolism into it as I could and I picked 19 key words, which kind of symbolized a lot of what everyone had. It was everything from hope to fear, to solitude, to pensive, and I even have baking and booze are words that have shown up as well. There's so much, there's a reason there's no more flour on the shelves. And apparently booze has been a big factor as, as well for some individuals for the response. I just thought they were very appropriate, not only because of the thoughts people are having, but also, you know, the humorous aspect as well. Did you receive a lot of repetitions of words? Did that help you narrow things down? Yeah, interestingly, there were some, there were a lot of synonyms. Um, you know, the words lonely and loneliness had shown up, you know, often, which, which is sad, but critically important to be thinking about. And I picked ones that just really stood out that, that were very much um, uh, the basis, I think, that covered whatever happens with everyone. And what's interesting about this piece as well is that although it's talking about isolation, I felt it was important to reach out to the community to get the input. I wanted to get everyone's input. So in a way, this piece called Thoughts in Isolation was created in a non-isolated social media environment. And, and this piece is totally different looking than the, uh, the first piece we talked about, The Cure. And that this one is made with about 50 intersecting, um, shifting wooden rods and these rods are make a mishmash, so just that looks, for me, it envisions thoughts racing through somebody's mind. And 
the thoughts themselves make up 19 of the rods and they pop out. They're made out of a much different colored wood than the rest. So when you look at it, you can see how these thoughts are basically um, randomly and sporadically shooting through someone's mind along all the other thoughts that might be happening with them. It's a very dynamic piece. You can almost feel like you can see the synapses shooting through your head when you look at a piece like this. The third piece is Angel Breath, which has a poetic name. It's also sad to view this. Yeah, I think it's important to have the sadness as well as the hope and the happiness. It's a combination piece, but there's definitely sadness to it. This is our body's response, is what this one represents, and also very different than the others. This one was inspired by an earlier piece I had done, which was a heart and lung sculpture, which I was commissioned to make for a pulmonologist, not surprisingly. But this particular one is a bit different. It is, it says, it does look like a pair of lungs, which are encapsulating a heart. The heart though is more like a Valentine heart as opposed to a human heart. But when you look at it, there's a hole in the center of the heart which as I said, it's like it's having that feeling of a hole in your heart due to the loss of life and the attack and the, that people are having. Obviously the lungs play, are, are critically important in, in what we think of when we think about our, what this virus is doing to us. But when people look at it, some see lungs and some see what looks like angel wings. Amazingly, the lungs have that look to them. And I did shape them a little more elongated to have a bit more of that feeling. And I feel that it's very important um, to have a piece that, that you look at, it shows love, but also shows the impact that it's having on us as a society and as individuals. Doug, clearly you've been acting on your inspiration having created these complex and thoughtful pieces. How has it been for you as an artist during COVID-19, aside from creating these pieces in response to the disease? I'm glad you asked. You know, a lot of people aren't actually talking, except for you, of course, aren't talking about the art community. Uh, and what's happening uh, to, to them. Uh, one of the galleries that was showing my work has shut the doors. Uh, it's very difficult for all businesses, obviously, with the impacts. And a lot, of, a lot of galleries and museums have put together virtual exhibitions. And for example, my what we're talking about now is a virtual exhibition I put on my website. So people can come and visit these three pieces. There's actually videos of all three pieces so people can see them in three dimensions. And, and try to actually vision and being there in front of them. And it has been difficult though in general because people have a harder time going and seeing the works. It's not just about the artists, it's about the people that appreciate the art. Both are suffering in a different way. But for those of us that are able to get virtual exhibitions out there and be able to share our works, no matter what they are, um, right now is about all we have going for us, and we really appreciate being able to do that in today's times. And uh, and it, although it's been difficult, it's also I've also been very very grateful that I've had the opportunity to be thinking of new ways of sharing the work that I create, which I had not thought about before. Indeed, and for what consolation it may be, and I realize it could feel small. Visual artists have the advantage of being in galleries or museums where people can social distance and um, there can be timed ticketed admission, whereas symphony orchestras, theaters are facing tremendous challenges with how and when they can return to work. 
it is very, very true. But I, um, now everyone knows I'm also affiliated with a wonderful dance company called uh, Terminus Modern Ballet Theater, who I know you're aware of. And we had to cancel all of our performances, our live performances, but instead we're currently creating dance movies and films that people will still be able to enjoy and see. It's different, but it's still a way of being able to share. Uh, symphony orchestra, some of them are showing online as well. However, you're right, there's nothing, nothing that matches being able to see performing arts in person to experience it and to experience uh, the visual arts as well. And I'm grateful for that fact that we can do this today. But at the same time, I'm so looking forward to going out and seeing these things in person as well and being able to experience the joy that you get for, as, a, uh, as a group, as a society for these performances. Atlanta woodworker Doug Pisek. You can find more information and view all four works in his collection, Art for Our Unusual Times, at Doug Pisek dot com slash covid art you've been listening to city lights our daily celebration of atlanta arts and culture tomorrow morning at 11 we will have an extraordinary guest stephen huff is a brilliant pianist writer poet composer and painter He'll perform this weekend in a wonderful online event from Spivey Hall. And tomorrow he'll give us a preview of the music. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer. And I'm Lois Reitzes. I'd love it if you'd follow me on Twitter ever trying to reach the next round number, do follow me at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to member-supported 90.1 W-A-B-E, Atlanta's choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.